So how did you get to this career and what, what drew you to this world? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always loved nutrition in the sense that when I was a kid, I wanted to be vegan. I realized the second I found out that the chickens the neighbors had next door were the same chickens that were in the chicken nuggets I was eating. My mom tells this story at a party where I embarrassed her as a kid. When, I, when someone told me that it was real chicken, I just started bawling and screaming. <laughs> so ever, since I was a kid, I knew I didn't want to eat animal. But the thing is, is that my dad's a butcher and we grew up in a very meat-based culture. So I had to learn how to feed myself. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today, we are joined by... April Cunningham, confidence coach, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. Very excited to have Rebecca Clements join our podcast today. Rebecca, if you take a minute and just introduce yourself to the audience, please. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I am a movement and nutrition coach. I help people with their habits, their lifestyle, everything that goes around nutrition. And what I specialize in is helping people adopt a sustainable plant-based diet. Awesome. So the, my first question though is movement. I think of like in the CrossFit community, I think they use that word a lot to describe just, you know, the functional movements, but I would think more like a trainer is so how, why movement and what does that really mean? Oh, that's such a good question. So there's research that if you ask anyone off the street, so this is general population to name every exercise they can think of on average, people can only name between 10 to 12 movements. And something else with that is the same people on average eat 10 to 12 foods. So that's us complete average. So movement people, I use movement coach because I'm trained in a lot of different movement modalities. So if someone comes to me wanting to lose weight or look a certain way, and they just think I'm a trainer, the word trainer is usually associated with, oh, I have to do curls and bench press and squats. But what I do is depending on what the individual's goal is, is I use movement from all of the modalities I've been trained in to help get them towards that goal. So that's sometimes more calisthenic, which is like body weight stuff. And um, sometimes it's, it's just aerobic capacity. So cyclical modalities like biking, running, rowing. Um, so I've been trained in all sorts of movement and I'm able to pick which ones make the most sense depending on which system we're trying to help the individual express. Awesome, that's great. So how did you get to this career and what, what drew you to this world? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always loved nutrition in the sense that when I was a kid, I wanted to be vegan. I realized the second I found out that the chickens the neighbors had next door were the same chickens that were in the chicken nuggets I was eating. My mom tells this story at a party where I embarrassed her as a kid. When, I, when someone told me that it was real chicken, I just started bawling and screaming. <laughs> so ever, since I was a kid, I knew I didn't want to eat animal. But the thing is, is that my dad's a butcher and we grew up in a very meat-based culture. 
So I had to learn how to feed myself. And then the movement came a little bit later. I always danced and did gymnastics. I taught for over a decade. And then I got into weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit, um, all sorts of more strength-based modalities after that. And it's just been an evolution. The more I learn, the more I love it. And I, I feel like a forever student, which is one of my favorite feelings. I just want to pop in here because, wow, that's first, the fact that you're a vegan and your dad's a butcher. And there's this, this, you know, I've always said on the podcast, if I knew where my food came from, I would have been a vegan a long time ago, too, because I just it's brutal. And I understand that, you know, in the right processes uh, on a farm, for example, that thinks very much so about how things are, you know, the animals are raised and such. They try to do it as humanely as possible. And still that stuff is like, I wouldn't have been able to sustain it. So I totally agree and resonate with what you said. And then also, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting that you made this very powerful choice that is just that, that is polar opposite of what your family chose. And without judgment, I don't say that, but we talk about this on our podcast that, you know, going plant-based is, uh, or vegan is often like changing your religion. It's doing the polar opposite of what maybe you've always been exposed to. So I just wanted to call that out that that's super interesting. And we'll probably get to this, but the audience can't see you, but you're like super ripped. <laughs> and so for people to think of vegans as, uh, you know, skinny and waif-like and, you know, they're, they're going to fall over, that is totally not accurate. Um, and I think you, you represent that really well. Well, thank you. And a little thing talking about, um, my dad being a butcher, he still is, but he's had health issues for a really long time because of diet. And recently the last month and a half, him and my mom have made a serious effort to be more plant-based and he, for the first time he's lost 12 pounds. He feels better. His system's balancing out. I'm so ridiculously proud of him. <laughs> so mom and dad, if you listen to this, keep up the good work. <laughs> that is oh, amazing. amazing. Congratulations mm -hmm. to them. <laughs> so I, I love the character that um, you must have had to be able to say, to make the connection between, or, or have the compassion around this animal that you were aware of, and then what you were going to put on the plate and into your body. And to do that at a young age when as April said, maybe those around you were, were obviously making a very different choice. Um, that just says a lot about who you are. So that's uh, re really good to know and, and great information for, I think, our audience to know about who's talking to us today. I think, too, it's a good um, that your parents embrace that. You know, we had a couple episodes about conscious parenting as well. So for anybody who was really interested in that episode, I think that um, it's great the dynamic between you and your parents, how even though your dad was a butcher, obviously he still supported his 12 year old, you know, and her decision to be plant-based, which I think is, is such a great place to be at where we can be different and uh, think differently, but still support each other wherever we are in our journeys. At first, it was funny. They really didn't support me. I remember being a kid and my dad saying, all right, you're going to cook for yourself. <laughs> and my mom, she would try sometimes. But I remember one instance, she made chicken and dumplings for everybody. And, I, and I'm young and she had given me some. And I said, how did you make this? If everyone else has chicken and dumplings, she said, oh, I made you a separate pot. And I started to catch on. No, she didn't. She just took the chicken 
out of my bowl. <laughs> so I had to, they were out to get me. They loved me and they just, they didn't have the tools and resources, but I'm so grateful for that because that made it so I had to question everything. I had to look deeper. When I turned 16 and I got my license, I was so excited not to drive to my friends' houses. I was so excited to go drive to the grocery store. <laughs> like a whole world opened up to me. So they are supportive and I love them dearly, but it wasn't always like that because they didn't have the resources that I now have created and I give to all of my clients. I think um, we're pro I don't know how old you are and I'm not going to ask, but I would imagine that your parents are probably from the generation that my parents are from. And it was basically, you're going to eat what we've prepared. And I think that um, trying to separate that from, hey, this is my child who, who needs something and that's going to make extra work for me, but I'm going to do it for them. I I'm sure that that's a serious adjustment than any parent would have to make, um, especially if they were raised in an era where maybe things were a little more scarce and they didn't have the resources, like you said, to, to go and make a separate meal. Um, and, you know, maybe felt like, hey, I, I, I made the money that brought this food and you're going to eat it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think it's just, it's just a difficult thing for parents to do uh, to try to change their mindset um, in the face of this challenge from this little person that they love. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you're, you, you mentioned being educated and trained and all these different modalities. Uh, why is it important to know kind of where somebody's coming from or what kind of training they have in order to get success? Because with the advent of the internet, you can find out anything you want, but a lot of it I feel like is conflicting information. Um, so what's the, the benefit of working with somebody like you? That's an awesome question. So there's a quote, opinions are like buttholes. Everybody has one. <laughs> so that same goes, <laughs> that same thing goes <laughs> for food philosophy. We have all been eating. I think the stats are by the time you're 40 years old, you've consumed 42,000 meals. So that's 42,000 times our minds have processed the information and the filters that we have and decided, yes, this food is what I should be eating. So to start to undo any of that processing is a long haul and it can be done. And so it's important to, when you're looking for a nutrition coach or someone to work with, somebody who one, understands psychology, because it's not as simple as eat this instead of this. You need to have someone that you can talk to them about, hey, I ate all this food that you told me not to. And it's not because I knew not to eat it. It was because I had an emotionally taxing day. I let my guard down and I binge ate a bunch of foods. <laughs> so you need to have someone who can understand the psychology as well as the food education, how to, if someone's um, sensitive to foods, how to help get them off of those foods that aren't working for them. Um, and another huge thing when people look for diet coaches, nutrition coaches, they think that oh, this person has a template. They have an Instagram account with a bunch of before and afters with people holding a newspaper and they're much thinner in the second photo. They must know what they're doing. Well, I can take any client, take their calories way down, have them take progress photos in four weeks and have them look phenomenal. But 
Did that affect their metabolic processes? Did that affect their hormones? Am I going to get them into an adrenal lull because we did things in a really unhealthy way? So you want to look for someone who not only understands food, but they understand you and they can make all of the connections based on your individual needs. So I just want to pop in here because yes, like as you're, as you're, um, talking, Rebecca, I'm like, yes, my cells are resonating. Um, because of course, you know, audience knows I came to coaching as a health coach. And that's one of the things that often sometimes we don't think of like, uh, that's the emotional component of what was your day? Like, what's your stress level like on a regular basis? Um, and how is that influencing your food choices? Because, oh, by the way, you just are trying to get through the day, survive the encounter with the day, so to speak. Um, and then we're not very conscious of our choices. So I love what you just said, that it's not just about the food. I can take your calories all the way down. Yeah, you could juice for three days. You're going to drop, you know, three to five pounds, depending, maybe more, depending on what you start with. Right. But that's not the whole picture. It's really engaging someone to help you see who you are and see how you're showing up. It's really a, a mirror of sorts um, who can talk through the different pieces that can keep people stuck and keep them from uh, achieving the goals that they, they set the intention for. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I like also that you talked about having somebody who can like connect the psychology piece of it. Because I think so many people feel like it's just about determination and like you just get in there and you just got to do what you got to do. But there's so much more psychologically, like what you were saying, by the time you're of a certain age, this is like a habit and a routine that you now have to break. You know, you have to think differently and you have to reprogram yourself. So it's a lot harder than people uh, make it out to be, I think on all fronts, because you do, um, I, I personally see on social media where sometimes people make it like, you just got to get in there and be dedicated. And, and, you know, we know, and, it, and really great coaches know that there's so much more to that. And there is uh, a psychological component that plays a part. And, um, I think it's really important that when people are training that they, that they're getting training in all of the areas, not just the physical part of it. Yeah. You, you know what else? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what else resonated with me, Rebecca, what you said is that this picture of skinny, like uh, put the you know, before and after and it's like, oh, they lost weight. And it's like, when did losing weight become the metric of health? Mm -hmm. It's 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 only a partial metric. It's not the complete story. Jen is already I'm, I'm seeing her. She's already. Ready to go. <laughs> Come on, Jen, bring it in. Bring it in. Well, I. I, I'm trying to edit myself. Um, so the, <laughs> the constant barrage of stories around the rise in obesity and it's linked to disease. Um, I think, I, I think it's okay. And maybe even noble that people are looking to lose weight to address their health. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I would agree with that too. I think it's good um, that people are recognizing that there is a link between, you know, being at a healthy weight, but I understand what April is saying, too, is that somehow people feel like if you are below a certain weight or a certain size, then automatically you must be a healthy individual, which we know is not true. There are plenty of people who, you know, are a size zero or two that are not healthy at all, you know, drop dead of a heart yeah, attack, just like the same person that, you know, yeah. is a larger size that has the same problems. Yeah. And I think that it distances us from, to Rebecca's point, it distances us, distances us from 
really understanding the body. It's like, I get it, Jen. Like, right, yeah, the smaller is better because it reduces the load on the system, really. You have less to maintain. There's less overhead, right? It's like it's like when how people jettison things on a boat, not to be, is that a right <laughs> analogy? <laughs> <laughs> like the boat's too heavy or we're in a stormy sea so we the lighter the better in some cases right and so it, it reduces the load on the system however it just has become this all this be all metric of like you must be healthy not necessarily like you know um and I, and that's the part that i take issue with is this the holistic perspective of this must be what you, this must be what a vegan looks like this must be what a you know uh, a skinny person they must be healthy and it's also the other side like just because you're not skinny air quote that you're not healthy and I, I love that you know to Rebecca's point about how she guides people is helping people to see more than just the before and the after which oh by the way if you lose you know five pounds in four weeks that's it's as easy to gain it back as it is as it was to lose it so it's not sustainable either and that's the that's the piece like so when, to, yeah, to speak to this, when I have clients come to me, we don't only do weight. So we have the options. I've also worked with clients who have disordered eating. So because of that, sometimes they don't want to weigh themselves at all. That's fine. We have a million other metrics. So people will do weight sometimes like an in body or bod pod, which is like, you'll hold onto the handles. It sends an electric current through your body and it can give you an idea of how much fat mass you have, how much water mass you have a little bit more in depth. And then we also do your stress, your sleep, your energy levels throughout the day. So what I do is I take a wide variety of metrics, provide them to someone and say, look at, we can improve all of these things. So nobody gets caught in the loop of, oh, I didn't lose weight again this week. This isn't working. When they have a check-in each Sunday is what it usually is. And their notes are, oh, I had so much more energy to play catch ball this week with my kids. Or, you know, I slept better. Another a fun thing, I like to go back to their intake form where I have everyone rate what's your average stress. This blows my mind. I have never had anyone rate their stress level less than a six. So a six out of 10, 60%, that's failing a test if we were to put it in that level. So those are these are people that are coming to me, sometimes high level athletes, like CEOs, people who looks like from the outside, their life is together, but they are stressed chronically. So after a few months of working together, they forgot the number they gave me before. I get to give them again, all right, check in. How's your stress? One to 10. It is so cool when that number starts to go down and down and down. So there are a lot more metrics than just weight. There, there's so many things that came up for me when you were talking just now. First, that the, you take the stress metric and you know, people who, the people ha can have like a basal, it's like a basal body temperature. They have like a basal stress level where it's normal. It's so normal that they do not realize it's higher than it needs to be and maybe higher than it should be for all the other reasons, yeah, for health, right? And then the second thing was um, Lisa posted on Instagram, I think it was just like, I think, did you take a test like this where they took the pulse? Yeah, I did one of those 3D body scans kind of thing. Um. Yeah, but it was that. I had to hold onto the handlebars. They sent the pulse through the machine and I got all of my metrics back. Yeah, yeah I just posted that, actually. And I think the reason I bring it up is because the post was very much so about like the recommendations that she got was like, you need to lose weight, right? And Lily, you can speak more, right? You need to lose weight. But to your point, Rebecca, it doesn't tell the whole composite. Like I, I hear you saying you take more metrics than just that um, because because it's not 
we're not, any of us are just not one thing. Mm-hmm. And even, yeah. even that one is not an end all be all. I've gone into a doctor's office where it was standard practice for them to run you through one. And it showed that I was obese. It's not that I'm what? obese. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, what? I've done a test like that. But what it was is that my muscle and how much I weigh on my frame that read it as obese. So sometimes that's something else is to make sure that you're bringing your reports to someone who understands how to read them within the context that is your unique individuality. You know, and I, I kind of giggled because I understand greater than that, but it's saying that I'm overweight significantly when, you know, I've got less than 12% body fat. <laughs> so do you oh think, my God. Well, uh, do you think okay. those scales are, are wrong or outdated? Do you think they need to adapt to kind of modern, modern people? Um, you know, they, what they provide as a baseline, you really want to look at instead of maybe the, the conclusion it comes to for you. Instead, if you get that, use it objectively by looking at what the fat percentage is, what your water percentage is, and um, your lean mass, all, all of those metrics, and then look at them again when you retest and only compare those variables. And a tip for anyone who thinks about getting one, um, almost no matter where you are listening to this, there's probably a gym in your area or a health center where you can get what's called an in-body or a bod pod. Uh, Bod pods even more more exact, but can be more expensive. Um, An in-body you can usually get for maybe $20 anywhere. But when you go to do it, every time you test, stay really consistent. So a good way to remember is the first Sunday of every month, I'm going to go in the first thing in the morning. I'm not going to eat anything beforehand. I'm not going to drink anything. So what that does is it gets rid of all the other variables. So if you're a woman, if you're on your period, if your men also have a hormonal cycle each month too. So you're kind of, you're accounting for all of those other variables and just getting exactly to the important data points. So use it as a tool, not some end all be all of what it tells you is who you are, because that's not the case. <laughs> I think what the thing that was interesting to me um, when I took the scan and and this is where great coaches like you come into play. Right. I took the body scan and the recommendation was to lose, you know, five to 10 percent body fat. But ha- talking through the person talking through it with the person who actually gave me the body scan, we talked about like, that's actually not my goal. You know, I, I, I have done a lot of athletic things. I've been smaller. I've taken my body's fat percentage down. That's like not something that I, I want to do. So I know what the numbers say, but not a personal goal of mine, you know? And I think that's where, like, like you said, not taking the test for like an end all be all. It's just a baseline for to have somebody talk through that stuff with you of like, okay, well then what is a, a number that you would want to get to? And like, this is what's average and where are your personal goals? Um, that's why I would recommend that people, you know, get them. Um, just, but, but the key to that is you absolutely have to have somebody like yourself who can talk you through what it says, what it doesn't say, and what mm-hmm. is right for like your individual goals that you're looking to accomplish, you know? Um, Cause that, that totally is the key. Cause I was like, uh, I'm not fat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, find this, I find this to be compelling that they, I mean, the audience again, can't see you, Lisa or Rebecca really, honestly, like neither of y'all are, 
obese. And Rebecca, I'm astounded by the fact that you're the reading based on just the pure metrics. <laughs> yeah. Come back as obese. Like that's you. compelling evidence enough for me that the metrics are not the sole barometer of health. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I would drop the mic right now. I'm going to hang up and y'all can just keep talking. That's it. The metrics just, you know, okay. That's all. So I have a question. Uh, Do you think that everyone can not necessarily look like you, but maybe approach something close to that look of health if that's what they want? Or are there genetics or other factors that would prevent them from making that kind of progress? Basically, am I always going to be fat? (laughs) No, I think it's absolutely possible. And what's been fun is I started athletics uh, when I got serious into weightlifting. I didn't care about how my body looked. I just wanted to perform. What I've done now is I've gotten into more um, bodybuilding aesthetics focused, which I never thought I would because I love performance so much, but it's kind of performance in a different way. But what I've done and I've spent the last few years of my life doing is figuring out that balance, that threshold line between being a competitor and doing it for health. So like my clients, they want to look a certain way. They want to feel a certain way. They don't have two hours a day to spend in the gym. They, they're they real people with real lives. <laughs> so it's balancing principles and habits and all of the good stuff that we know works uh, to maintain that lifestyle. So Another quick thing to that, I'm going to compete in a, I've competed in a bodybuilding show at the end of May. I qualified for nationals, my first show, totally natural. So I'm a vegan on stage who hasn't done any drugs competing against women whose voices are very deep. You can tell they've been on (laughs) drugs. You know, they look beautiful on stage, but you see them close up backstage and no judgment. Everyone has their own path, but their skin is rough. It's like, it's, you can tell it's not healthy. So I've spent a lot of time learning the healthiest, most holistic ways to maintain and add muscle and decrease fat that's sustainable. Hold on. I got to pop in here. Okay. Hold on. First of all, how many, how many hours a day do you work out? Uh, right now about 90 minutes. So before when I was competing, it was one to two hours, two times a day. As I get closer to prep, I might go back to two days. But right now, my second session usually looks like going to a yoga class or walking my dogs. So very real world health steps. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and yeah, okay. And food. I want to make sure we come back to that. But go ahead, Jen. No, no. Wherever you want to go, April is fine. Uh, I was thinking about, okay, so you got to fuel that, right? We, one of the common questions we get is where do you get your protein? And of course, you know, it's a question that makes us roll our eyes, but clearly you're getting enough protein to compete first and, and also congratulations. Um, where, like how, how, how are you structuring your eating plan? If you, you know, and how strategic and tactical do you have to be in order to, to put on muscle with plants? Mm-hmm. The biggest mistake I see people come to me with, um, an example, women who have been on templates or programs in the past, and they'll come to me and they say, my other trainers said I need to eat 1,200 calories a day. And even though I weigh 110 pounds, I need to get 150 grams of protein. On 1,200 calories, how do I get 150 grams of protein? And I have to tell them, let's restructure this a little bit. You weigh this much, you don't need all of that. And it 
might be a little bit more difficult. It's possible on a plant-based diet. But what's cool is I get to give them more calories and they still lose weight. They still gain muscle. So one of the biggest things is eating enough. And vegan food is generally more whole food, plant-based. That's what we think of. So real plants. So you can have a big old salad that's huge. That's maybe 400 calories. And that you might look at that and think, oh my gosh, that's so much food versus someone who's used to eating maybe three ounces of steak and two hard boiled eggs. That's like, I guess you can't see, but I'm holding my hands together. That's a very small portion of food. So it's Mm -hmm. learning how to add in more food, even if it doesn't mean a ton more calories, adding in more food and then kind of playing with the most protein dense or helpful foods for you. So that was a long winded way to say it depends. <laughs> gosh, it depends. Okay. So what, so that makes sense, right? Cause we think of when we talk about food, we're thinking about, you know, one of the other questions we get is what well, are things that people say is, well, I have to, I felt I was hungry all the time when I went plant-based. Well, duh. And to your point, a piece of steak and two eggs, it's a little bit of food. It looks like on a plate, Versus a huge salad, you have to eat more and maybe more often, especially if you are, uh, you have a fitness regimen that's pretty rigorous. And I love what you said earlier about your focus was not how you look, but on performance. That's a whole nother thing. I feel like we have a sidebar on. Um, So can you give us a sense though of like, how do you make sure it's someone would come to you and they'd say, okay, how much, you know, I want to look, I want to be. I want to perform well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have a image goal and they come to you and you'd figure out what their protein needs to be. Um, you can give me a number, give me a number for how much the average woman might need as, you know, not quite an athlete and not quite average. What do you think is a reasonable number of protein grams? Yeah. If I was just to throw a blanket statement, um, the past bodybuilding culture has sort of made it that for each pound of body weight you are, it's one to 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight. That's not the case. There's more research now that shows we don't need that much protein. In fact, such a high protein diet can have a negative effect on a lot of our organs because your body's trying to process Mm -hmm. it and it, it can't break it all down. So I would error that most people are eating more protein than they want. And we have, as you know, such a protein centered culture that people are slamming back like protein shakes and protein powders and trying to get it in everywhere you need. So the first thing I would say is take a breath. You don't need as much as you think you do. (laughs) And then the next thing, say we'll give a round number, a hundred grams. So say a, a person is coming to me, their goal is a hundred grams of protein a day. Well, that's not nearly as hard as we think it is. Say we take that 100 grams and we divide it up to four meals. So each of your four meals for the day, we want 25 grams of protein. If you do one serving of tempeh, I think that's already almost 25. Another example, a really easy meal that you could get in is bean noodles or lentil noodles. Um, most boxes it has four servings. One serving is usually 200 calories and about 10 to 15 grams of protein. You double the servings, which is, you'll feel really good. It's a more substantial, how we, when we think of like a bowl of pasta, if you have two servings, it's 400 calories. That's kind of more of, Ooh, this is a hearty meal. 
you have two servings of that. So 400 calories, about 30 grams of protein. You put a little sauce on there, throw some veggies in. You have a really good meal. You've already had two meals today and you're over 50 grams of protein. So it's mm. when you break it down like that, it's never as scary or as intimidating as people think. You just have to be willing to have a different idea of what meals could look like. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's super helpful. Yeah. Let's talk about meals for a second. Um, and I feel like for someone who is gluten sensitive, breakfast poses an interesting dilemma, right? Because the traditional breakfast in America is eggs and bacon. Um, and if you take away the eggs and bacon, you're left with maybe a bagel or breakfast cereal or something along those lines. Um, and, and so none of those are, are options. Um, so let's, can you talk, speak a little bit to just starting your day with the right nutrition? Mm -hmm. Awesome question. What I always like to focus on is principles, because if I tell people an exact answer, they don't know how to apply that when they get into a situation that's uncomfortable or new. So I want to give a principle to answer your question, and then we can dive into examples. So a principle for breakfast is some protein and some fat and some slow, a little bit of slow digesting carbs. And the reason we want to focus the first meal of our day around that structure is because it will set you up for success for satiety. It'll set you up for success for your mental clarity and focus throughout the day. And then you're going to start with a good blood sugar level. What we don't want is to spike our blood sugar level, especially when we first wake up, because that's when you it becomes 10 a.m. at work and you're already going for your third cup of coffee because you've had a big dip <laughs> in your blood sugar. And then that's when you want more sugary foods to get that back up. That's why we have those cravings is quite literally your body is saying, hello, I'm at a low. You spiked my insulin earlier. Can you spike it again, please? <laughs> so things like bagels and cereals, those specifically, what they are is it's a white, fast digesting carb. It's often refined. And what that kind of nutrient does is it spikes your blood sugar. So instead of even thinking, okay, I can't have bagels or I do have bagels, instead look at food for what it is and think, will this spike my blood sugar or not? Uh, a really easy cheat sheet for that too is like glycemic index. That does a pretty good job. If anyone wants to just Google glycemic index charts, that does a pretty good job of helping you better understand what foods are going to spike your insulin more or less. So we want to stay on the side of keeping your blood sugar maintained throughout the day. So an easy example, something that's gluten-free, um, this is a plant-based show. We all know like tofu, tofu scramble is a really good one. But some people, they're like, oh, I'm tofu'd out. Is that all you plant-based people eat? <laughs> so if you, fall, <laughs> if you fall in that bucket, you can even make such an easy swap as a chickpea flour. So you can buy chickpea flour and scramble it up just like a tofu scramble. You throw in some veggies and you are good to go. Maybe a little bit of fat on top, like a healthy oil, and you're going to feel really good. <laughs> a chickpea flour yeah. you scramble? I just want to make sure I yes. heard that correctly. Mm -hmm. You can buy like, chickpea flour at most stores, even on Amazon. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's good. It's and, and, protein dense. It's a slower digesting carb. And you mix it with veggies. Mm -hmm. Put some oil in there. Yep. <laughs> it's that simple. 
<laughs> and and it tastes like cardboard. No, you no, no it's <laughs> it is inherently it's more of a neutral flavor, but you can spice it up to the max. Um, something else, a lot of common when you think of an American breakfast, if you go to an American diner, quote unquote, it's big toast, white bread toast. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a big hash brown mix. So if you still think of breakfast in kind of those standard terms, something else you could do if you want a big hash brown, like scramble, a hash, whatever, um, instead of taking white potatoes, which are very high insulin spiking, quick digesting carb, you can take mm-hmm. that potato out and instead you can get shredded root veggies. You can make them yourself or most stores in the freezer section, you can get a bag of different root vegetables that are all shredded up. So you can cook it on a pan with your veggies and anything else. It's going to taste delicious and it's going to keep your blood sugar more maintained throughout the day because it's a root vegetable. So it's a more complex carb, slower digesting, and you're getting micronutrients in those compared to you wouldn't be getting as much micronutrients from like a white potato. So that's something else that's important to think about is you want to get your micros in. It's easy to focus on our macros, fat, protein, carb. We all understand that's what food's made out of. But the next level or evolution of our nutrition and understanding our own bodies is being able to look at a plate of food and know what kind of micros you're getting from everything. Mm, that sounds now see okay so I'm I'm listening to you Rebecca and I'm just like this is awesome yeah 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 I definitely need someone to guide me through this because that sounds really like difficult daunting even really is the word I want to when I'm thinking about okay so how am I going to get this protein and how am I not just protein but how am I going to like chickpea flour I never would have thought of that like okay that's that's really interesting I've been playing with buckwheat flour with pancakes and I've found it to be delicious I'm and I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to lie because I just thought buckwheat. What is that? Like, this sounds like, is this one of those new grains like quinoa when it's ancient grains? It was always around. It's, anyway, um, what I'm curious about is um, how, and maybe we can drop this in the show notes and have some follow up on like how, what, what you would recommend is like a, a starter recipe book. Um, you don't have a recipe book just yet. Is that right? Uh, for yourself? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'd love to hear maybe what you would use as a starter pack or, or do you have your does your program take people through this piece of how to create these meals? That's a good question. So right now I am working on an ebook of high protein meals geared for athletes. So people who need a lot of calories, um, I am working on that. But the reason I haven't already released a big nutrition book or a big um, recipe book is because I want to teach people how to eat instead of just telling them what to eat. So I now I offer a course called 90 Days to Plant-Based that helps people adopt a sustainable diet. And throughout that, it's you're learning how to feed yourself. So my biggest piece of advice, and I'm not trying to squirm out of the question, but instead of, <laughs> instead of dropping some nutrition uh, or like recipe books, I want to suggest this for anyone listening. Each meal that you eat, take a couple moments really look at it, or even better, think about it before you make it, whatever you are going to make, how can you make that 1% healthier? And healthier, we want to think going back to more plant foods. So maybe I go to have my normal breakfast. I would usually eat breakfast potatoes because I grew up with those and I love breakfast potatoes. But I heard 
Rebecca on a podcast say, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have potatoes for breakfast. <laughs> so instead, <laughs> I, you know, grab a root vegetable or whatever that is. If you're someone who puts a ton of dressing on your salads, um, here's an, a, we used to, laugh at my dad because when he thought, when the doctors first told him he needed to change his diet, he thought a diet meant salads. So he would get romaine lettuce and drench him in ranch dressing. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if you're someone, <laughs> if you think a salad is just lettuce and a bunch of dressing, maybe your 1% better is maybe using a third less of dressing or to get more micronutrients, we want more colors so you might add a couple different veggies into your salad. Another quick takeaway from that to help you understand how to look for the 1% better, a good rule of thumb is you want 10 shades a day. So if each day you can get 10 different colors of foods, that is setting yourself up for success for micronutrients. So the reason certain vegetables and fruits are different colors is because of their micronutrients. So you want to have a wide variety of micronutrients in your diet. So if you can get 10 shades, say you make a salad, you can get mixed greens that might have three different kinds of greens in it. There's already three. You might put some radishes or peas or um, sprinkle some hemp seeds on top or just whatever vegetable fruit you can come up with, maybe some strawberries, blueberries, boom. That's eight colors already in your salad for one meal. So a good rule of thumb, 10 shades a day that will help aid to your 1% better. Okay. Is this like taste the rainbow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except not the unhealthy version of taste the rainbow. Yes. And I think that's already been copyrighted. So oh, <laughs> trademark, trademark. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Never mind. Carry on. <laughs> oh, that's great. So if someone's interested in, in learning some of these principles with you, what does that look like? usually with the people that I work with. So I have the two options, 90 day to plant-based, a course, which um, is one option. I'll come back to in a second. And then the second one is one-on-one -on -one coaching. And with one-on-one -on -one coaching, how it works is it's taking away the work that you have to look at your meals and think, how do I make this better? You're just giving it to me and saying, this is what I eat. And I get to look and say, Ooh, you had orange juice for breakfast this morning. Mm, that's just going to spike your insulin levels. Instead, Let's just have a real orange because that has water and fiber, which helps your body break down that sugar a lot more slowly. So you're not going to have as big of a spike. Uh, so there's that way. And then going back to the course, learning how to eat, I want to share this principle. It's a 12 week course, 90 days, but the very first week is entirely structured around a little bit of education and then figuring out your why. So if you don't have your why or your purpose for what you're doing, everything else is going to fall to the wayside. So if you're trying to keep doing 1% better and better, but you don't really know why you're doing it just because someone told you to, or you got a result back and a doctor said, oh, you've got to lose 10 pounds, right? You're, that's not your why. That didn't come from you. But if you start to understand my why is so I can keep up with my kids at the park. My why is so when I get home after a nine-hour day that I don't look at my dog and think, mm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to stay in tonight because I don't feel like walking, right? <laughs> so if you can get really good at knowing what your why is, it becomes a lot easier 
to think, oh yeah, this was my why. I'm going to find that 1%, 1%, 1 Okay. You were speaking my language. I mean, everybody was seen, saw me when I put my hands up and you're just like, what's your why? Cause that's, you know, I preach that gospel too. We all, we do as the Jealous Vegan team, we all preach it. Like what's your why? Because otherwise if you're not anchored to your why, you're not going to sustainably change mm. anything. Um, so love that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes your why can evolve. Sometimes people think that the why they had before, that's not their why anymore. So then they don't bother to make a new one, but it constantly evolves. You know, we just came up to 2020. It's a new decade. It's a really good time to reflect on the last 10 years. Well, you might've had a why that served you really well for the last 10 years, but that doesn't mean that that same why is going to help you in the next 10 years. So if you need to evolve that, it is worth the time to think, okay, I am healthier. I am fitter. Now what's my next why? Agree. I love that. Yeah. 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 So Rebecca, we want to point people to um, get in touch with you. Um, what's your web address? RCOnlineCoaching.com. And is there a social media space where you're most active, where they might uh, connect with you? Going to the website will have every link to all the social media. So we'll keep it super simple there. RCOnlineCoaching.com has everything you'll need. Awesome. She's all about the simplification, yo. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. Yeah. I need to hire. I need to hire. I, I think you get at least two clients <laughs> ready to sign up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for what you shared with us. Your enthusiasm and energy and passion for helping people live a better life is evident. And um, we hope that a lot of folks will check you out and see how you might be able to help them as they um, look to make changes to benefit their families. Yes. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work you do. You're making plant-based in the vegan conversation more approachable. And that's the biggest thing that we need right now is these approachable conversations. So thank you to all of you for the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. We receive it. We receive it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take two minutes and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. And in the meantime, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.